Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. Today I have my producer, Todd Fisher, with me. Welcome, Todd. Hi, Amber. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's no problem. It's been a while. Yeah, just a little bit, like a couple, a uh, couple months, maybe. If you've that. had, you've had a lot of interviews, so I've had to just sit quietly in the other room. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been good. But you got some good experience listening to us, you know. And I love to hear your thoughts at the end of it. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So today is a Q and A episode. I am uh, excited. Fun, fun, it's- fun get to hear all the questions that people have asked and answer some um some pretty good questions we got some good ones today don't we oh yeah we've got a lot of them so buckle in because (laughs) we're gonna put amber to the test today to answer these (laughs) listener emails and questions that have come in we even have one that came in uh as a voice message Ooh, that is exciting i'm we love to hear your voices fans so definitely leave us uh, voice messages Yes, sometimes those are the best ways so that I actually get to hear your voices and we actually get to hear your question on the podcast itself. So definitely don't be afraid to go to my anchor.fm forward slash the religious hippie and leave us a voice message. Well, try to do these Q&As about every quarter of the year so that we can uh, answer questions that might not get answered on your YouTube pages and all the other stuff that you do. Yeah, I know a lot of I do some quite a few Q and A's on my YouTube, but there's some that it's just like, I feel like it'd be so much better if it was just in a podcast form, because I know some people listen to my podcast and don't watch my YouTube. So this is the perfect opportunity. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right. What's my first question? So I'm going to try I'm probably going to dismember a lot of names here. So I'm (laughs) going to try my best. To uh, say everyone's names right or whatever whatever their handle or screen name is. So let's get <laughs> right on to it. So this one is, um, can't you, Melissa780, mm-hmm. can you explain the importance of veiling? 
Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. The first thing is that it is obviously biblical. It's normally um, in the Old Testament, New Testament, you see all the women veil. Good examples of this are Ruth, Naomi, specifically Our Lady, you know, Virgin Mary, she veiled. And so personally for me, the importance of it is that we veil what is holy. If you look at the altar, it is veiled and the tabernacle where Jesus Christ is kept is also veiled. So in a sense, it's a, um, it's a representation of something that is holy. And as women of the church, we are quite holy, uh, cause we bring, uh, we bring, um, children into the world and we raise them to be holy. So it's really, it's really kind of a, I guess a symbol of holiness, but also of reverence on our femininity. And we kind of are, um, subjecting ourselves to God because we are understanding that we are um, women and we cover our hair out of modesty. The main reason I personally do it is to imitate our lady. I think that's one of the best ways to do it too. And just overall to understand that when we veil, um, we are following tradition and we are imitating our lady. I will accept that answer. (laughs) I would hope so, Todd. (laughs) Um, so the next one comes in from Isaac. I X O Y E. <laughs> I don't even want to even begin to try and pronounce that. That's what that is. I what feel. do Catholic girls want in a guy? Ooh, we getting we getting into the the dating topics now. Um, honestly, the best example of what Catholic girls want in a guy is Saint Joseph, and. I always think about St. Joseph and thinking how intimidating it must have been to have a wife who was completely sinless and a son who was not just sinless, but actually God. And so whenever anything went wrong, it was probably because of Joseph, because Joseph was not sinless and, and things. And so it's really funny to me how, um, how many situations he was probably in. He was a very, very holy man. And so when it comes to the dating aspect of things, I do believe that women should should search for men who imitate St. Joseph and men should search for women who imitate Our Lady. Um, and most of these um, aren't just like, you know how St. Joseph is a provider and a, a protector, um, not just physically, but actually spiritually. And I think that is something that a lot of women are looking for. They're looking for a man who is strong in their faith and is going to lead the family to sainthood. All right. Good. <laughs> I hope that helps you, Isaac. Woo. We're on a roll. The <laughs> next one is from Bride of Lamb. Could you please explain to me Matthew 1034 to 1035? It would be a great help. Yeah, yeah. Let me read that verse real fast for you guys, just so you have an idea. Okay, so Matthew 1034 through uh, 35. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes will be those of his own household. You know, I think two of the best commentaries we have on this verse are actually from St. Augustine and St. Hilary. So this is what St. Augustine says. 
I am come to set man against his father, for he renounces the devil, who was his son, the daughter against her mother, that is the people of God against the city of the world, that is the wicked society of mankind, which is spoken of in scripture under the names of Babylon, Egypt, Sodom, and other names, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, that is the church against the synagogue, which according to the flesh brought forth Christ, the spouse of the church, they are severed by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And a man's foe are they of his household, those, that is, with whom he uh, before lived as intimates. So basically what this verse is saying is that Christ came down and while he's the king of or the the prince of peace that's one of his names we know that he's the prince of peace um he by coming you know that doesn't mean that um i guess you could say uh difficulties are completely disappeared from humanity you're still going to have issues and sometimes even more issues because you follow christ and i think that's one of the biggest things is that nowadays we see this especially in the catholic church where we are constantly pitted against our protestant brothers and sisters and other people um and that's basically what they're talking about now saint hillary says something as well uh, uh, mystically, a sword is the sharpest of all weapons, and thence it is the emblem of the right of authority, the, imp the impartiality of justice, and the correction of offenders. The word of God, we may remember, is likened to a sword. So here, the sword that is sent upon the earth is his preaching poured into the heart of man. The five inhabiting one house whom he divides three against two and two against three. We may explain thus, the three are the three parts of man, the body, the soul, and the will. For as the soul is bestowed in the body, so the will has power of using both in any way it chooses. And thence, when a law is given, it is given to the will. But this is only found in those who were first formed by God. By the sin and unbelief of the first parent, all the generations of men since have had sin for the father of their body and an unbelief for the mother of their soul. And as each man has his will within him, there are thus five in one house. When then we are renewed in a laver of baptism by virtue of the word, we are set apart from our original guilt and severed as it were by the sword of God. From the lusts of this, our father and mother, and thus there is great discord made in one house. The new man finding his foes within, he seeks with joy to live in newness of spirit. They which are derived from the old stock lust to remain in their old pastures. So hopefully that helps a little bit. I know it can be a confusing verse, but obviously Jesus would not contradict himself. And he's basically saying that people who follow him have peace with God, but those who reject God um, will not find peace. Very good. This next one's much easier. Oh, woo. So Catholic happy. Christian says, are you reading these messages? Oh, uh, I don't know. Yes, am I? We I don't are. Know. Yes. Yeah, Moving I am. On. Send a question <laughs> next time. That's a real question, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. 
This one is from Eddie Perez. Okay. Um, let's see. What to do when you are young, 18 years old, and you practice the faith, but your family doesn't? Ooh, okay. Good question. Good question. Um, I'm assuming that your family might be like Catholics at one time, just stopped practicing, lukewarm Catholics, whatever. So I'm just going to assume that they're the same religion as you. Um, the best thing that I could suggest is to set the example. Um, you know, um, I guess in a sense, like go to church every Sunday, make sure that you are observing fasting, you know, and do, observing holy days of obligation and feast days and solemnities and things of that nature. Really set that example. If you feel comfortable comfortable enough, even um, pray in front of them or invite them to pray with you. I think it's so important that we plant that seed and understand that it's really not your, um, it, it's, it's not your job to convince them of anything about Catholicism and their religion or your religion, but really it's about planting that seed and setting that example. Some people, I feel like they have this barrier where um, unless they see someone else do it, they're not going to do it themselves. So try that. Um, and some other things I would suggest are, of course, pray for them. And when you receive Holy Communion, offer that up for them. Um, and yeah, you know, do the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the Rosary. Very good. This next one is from You Are Strong. Ooh. What's a good website to get Catholic things and jewelry from? And they also ask, what's your favorite type of Catholic jewelry? Ooh, that's, that's a good one. So, you know, I haven't really found any exact Catholic stores that I really like, but Etsy has a lot of great Catholic creators that make a lot of handmade jewelry that I really like. Um, some really, really pretty stuff. But I have a weird thing, so I don't like to wear things on my wrists. Um, it's like a sensory sort of thing. It feels really weird, and I kind of want to chop my wrist off when anything's on it. <laughs> um, and so I don't like bracelets. But something I really do like are necklaces and earrings. I don't have any Catholic earrings, but I do have my medals, my blessed medals that I wear um, around my neck. Um, but yeah, probably uh, necklaces and earrings. And if you're looking for good Catholic um, jewelry, support small businesses and buy off Etsy. Great, great. So this next one is a listener voicemail. Ooh. We're going to play it for you right now. Hello, Alvarez. I've just recently returned to the Catholic Church before Easter, and I was wondering if you have any tips for improving your prayer life. Um, I currently say the rosary and the divine mercy chaplet daily, but that is all. And I'm struggling to feel a connection to God, although I know he's there. Thank you very much. Yeah, so definitely the devotion to um, the divine mercy chaplet and the rosary are both super important and they're beautiful. I totally know what you're talking about when it comes to... Um, just feeling that disconnect from God. And I think one of the best things I can tell you is to start going to adoration if you can. I know it's not always possible because of where we're at, you know, with COVID and everything. But if you are able to go to in-person adoration, do that. Um, and if not, do online adoration. That's really beneficial as well. And really take part in the sacraments, um, especially communion. I think that's one of the best ways to really get in connection with God. The second thing I would say 
is to start a prayer journal. I think sometimes we don't see the blessings that God gives us until after the fact. And even then there might be some hidden blessings that we asked for that we forgot about. So when you write down um, in a prayer journal, what you're praying for, what you're thankful for, etc., you can look back on that later in, you know, your life and be like, oh, God answered this prayer. And it wasn't the way I expected it, but it was the way I needed. Um, so prayer journals are really helpful. Another thing is if you don't have a good community of people, definitely get into a good community. You can basically find them anywhere. Catholics, Catholic communities are all over online, or you can join your local parish. Um, and besides that, another thing I would suggest is if you can get a spiritual director, uh, specifically a priest, um, if possible, because sometimes there's areas in our life where we feel like God is more present and than others. Um, and having a spiritual director, they give that outside perspective in our lives and be like, well, you know, I think in this area, God's trying to teach you this, you know, or something. And they offer some more insights. And it also gives you somebody to talk to, which I think is super beneficial when you're going through a dry season of prayer or something. Great question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so a much. Great voice too. Yeah. I love your accent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this next one is from Femme Republicane. Ooh. Oh, it's a nasty one too. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. How do you have a social life when the world hates your values? So true though. I mean, it's so accurate. <laughs> um, I don't really have a social life. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. I do have a social life. I'm mainly involved with my church, to be honest. And when I'm not involved with my church and I'm not hanging out with fellow Catholics, I'm hanging out with people who I have deemed friends, like people that respect me and my values and I just hang out with them and we have bonfires and we go kayaking and we really have a good time together and religion is never really an issue for us or anything because while they're not catholic they still have those christian values um if you're talking about just like social life in general like school and things like that you will find like-minded people um you kind of just have to search for them <laughs> But a lot of the times, you know, I, it's honestly by chance. It really is that you find somebody with the same values as you. And while we shouldn't tolerate their sins or we shouldn't be approving of their faults, like if they, they think like abortion is okay, like we shouldn't approve of that or anything, you can still be friends with people like that and maybe even convert them to something better. And I just want to interject for Fem Republican too that uh, the world hates your values. I want to just remind everyone here that Christianity is the most dominant religion in the world. 2.3 billion people in the world are Christians. That's 31% of the entire population of the world. And that's twice as many as the next most popular religion. And in Christianity, Catholics make up over 50% of that. So let's be real clear when you define the world hates your values, who the world is actually made up of, because I feel you're speaking 
from a minority standpoint here. Mood. So that's my two cents on this. <laughs> I love that. Suck it world. We're the majority. <laughs> this next question is Fernanda seven Ooh. book recommendations that are not well known. Book recommendations. Yep. Yep. Um, gosh, uh, you know, I'm going to, I mean, you know, I'm just going to say the imitation of Christ. <laughs> it's not that it's not well known. I just love it. Um, the second book I would suggest is, um, Mary, my hope. That's another very good book. It's a prayer book, um, actually. And I really like that book. Another book I would suggest is the dogma of hell, even though it's, I don't think it's really like that popular though quite a few catholics have read it i just i don't think it's actually that popular um that one is a very very good book and the third book i would suggest is surprised by truth by patrick madrid that one is so so good it's basically 11 accounts of convert stories of how they converted into the catholic church in their own individual ways and i just started reading it and oh my goodness it is so good it is so so good and i remember listening to patrick madrid on his show and on relevant radio and he was saying that he had a friend and his friend was a Protestant and he called Patrick and was just like, Hey, I'm kind of interested in the faith, but my wife's going to kick me out, take custody of the kids, blah, blah, blah. If she finds out that I'm, you know, thinking about becoming Catholic, could you please send me your book surprised by truth, but could you do it in an unmarked box so that she doesn't know it's from you or, you know, from a Catholic thing. Anyway, long story short, his, his wife found, got the box instead of him because he wasn't home when it arrived and she locked herself in his office and um, she didn't come out. And because she was in there and she was bored, she started reading this book. And now the entire family is Catholic and very devout traditional Catholics. So I think that's a really good book as well. Okay. And a second question from the same person is, is it okay to listen to secular music? Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely depends on the type. You don't want to be listening to music about like explicit things like drugs, sex, pornography, things like that. That's not good to be filling our minds with because what we surround ourselves with is what our, I guess, our worldview becomes in a sense. And so you definitely don't want to be putting that garbage into your heads. Um, but when it comes to like a good pop song or something or a good rock song, like I was raised on classic rock. So um, Sticks, Ario Speedwagon, Journey, all of that stuff are still things that I listen to a lot. Um, some country, older country, not the new trashy rap country stuff, um, is also very good, but you really just have to um, filter it. You really do. And don't be, you know, putting yourself in jeopardy by listening to something that's um, just impure, I guess, in a sense. So no you know? Marilyn Manson. No, no. Is he still around? Is he good? Is he okay? <laughs> I think, I think he, I think Marilyn Manson's being canceled right now. I think cancel culture has the best of him at this point. Sorry, bro. <laughs> beach boys or beach boys. Okay. I think we can listen to them. <laughs> oh, I love the beach boys. It, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Like I sing that one all the time, all no, the time. We have to pay for the music. Thanks for singing it. We have to get oh. the rights cleared now. Oh, so. You could just cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't so get the next one is from the ultimate Jedi. Why oh. choose Catholicism? You know, there are a lot of reasons, but I'm going to list off the basic ones <laughs> because I feel like we would be here forever. 
Um, so the first reason is obviously that the Catholic Church is the only church where you can trace its roots back to Jesus Christ himself. Um, and so I'm just going to explain that just a little bit. So back in um, after the resurrection, Jesus's followers, they began calling himself themselves Christians. You can find that in Acts 11, 26. Um, and by the first century, the word Catholic, which actually means universal, was um, applied to the church. So we are Christians. We actually, that's where the name comes from in a sense. Um, so there's that. That's the first one. And you can trace the roots of P all our popes back to Peter. The second reason is because of the Eucharist, which is the true presence of Jesus Christ, and it is not found in Protestant churches. Um, so Jesus Christ, he, he describes himself as the bread of life and stating that whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood will have eternal life. You can find that in John 6, 54, I believe 54. Yeah. And um, at the last supper, he gave the apostles and their successors, which are the bishops, um, the power and authority to continue his sacrifice when he said, do this in memory of me, which you can find in Luke twenty two nineteen. So basically the Catholic church has just been obeying Christ's command for the last 2000 years. Um, the third reason is that we have fully sacramentally, we have full sacramental understanding of God's saving activity hopefully that sentence kind of made sense. So um, the word sacramental in this specific um, sentence is used in three different ways. First, we have the um, incarnational sense, which means that God can be known and experienced in and through what he has created. And Catholicism has always remembered that God looked upon his creation and pronounced it is good. So Genesis 1, uh, 131. I believe. So instead of being suspicious of human activity and the material world, the church has often, often encouraged people to develop and use their abilities and to do all things for the greater glory of God. So the second sense is sacramental, refers to the Eucharist and the other six sacraments. And, um, and these are visible signs and sources of God's grace and activity in the world. And then the third is the noun sacramental, refers to basically the blessed item or gesture that for those who have faith can be, um, can I guess, can be an experience uh, or source of God's grace. So there's the third reason. And... Uh, I don't know. Should I continue? Or should I do one more? <laughs> oh, I think let's make time for other questions. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. There's a, there's a little idea for you. Get back to us if you need more information. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty. We can't make her question the whole show. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> this next question is, is it okay to highlight, underline, take notes in our Bibles or is it disrespectful? Ooh, that is a good question. This is one that I've actually struggled with for a long, long time. Um, here's the thing. I don't think it's wrong if you're studying your Bible and you do underlines and you do highlights to highlight certain things in order to study your Bible. However, when you get into the artistic side of it, where you start drawing random flowers and random things on the, the page of the Bible... I think that's when it becomes a little bit more disrespectful in a sense. And I know people are very creative and that's totally fine, but this is the word of God, not a, not a notebook. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to draw pretty flowers or something, 
do it in a notebook. Um, I don't think it's wrong when you're studying your Bible to underline it and to do stuff like that. I have underlined and highlighted in my Bible, um, but I don't do flowers. I don't draw in it. Um, I think that would be disrespectful. I'll tell you my my take on it. This is uh, the, this is a, a Catholic's perspective with the religious hippie. So please don't take my word as any kind of canon for this show. But I will tell you my experience with this. So personally, I actually own many many different Bibles. I have study Bibles that I I make notes in. I have cheaper regular versions of Bibles that I make notes in and highlight. And then I have really nice leather bound Bibles, like my really beautiful keepsakes. I also collect older Bibles, which I really like, and I'll never deface those in any way. So I have multiple different Bibles for multiple different uses, kind of like my rosaries, a lot of different mm -hmm. rosaries for different things or different locations, whether I'm indoors or outdoors or whatever. You know? right. So I'm kind of picky like that. In terms of graffiti within your <laughs> Bible, I don't do that. I don't, like, unless it's for learning and I need to underline something, I'd, I've, I've actually kind of uh, dog tagged the corners, you know, and things like this. And I put in little post-it notes and bookmarks and all kinds of ways yes. to find what I want. But I will say that I have seen people whose personal Bibles were beautifully decorated with flowers and vines around the borders and for me, and, I, and it looked beautiful and it was very personalized to them and it was very inspirational to them and it was their marks through it all. And it was a keepsake they wanted to pass down to their relatives. And it was really beautifully done. And I think there's a difference in customizing your Bible in a way like that. So it makes you even happier versus your mind is wandering and you're doodling. So I think that's the difference for me is if you just start scribbling stuff in it, you know, mm. that's, uh, that's not right. But if you're making your, if you're enhancing your Bible even more, and you're just drawing around the borders, and you're, you, you, this Bible is really close to you and important. I think that that's okay. But you know, it's funny, because I also have um, a lot of, uh, like electronic Bibles and things on my iPad. So I have several different companies of stuff that I put on my iPad. And some of these are built to have digital highlighters, digital note-taking. It's really interesting. So even digitally, they're embracing that, that they want you to be able to circle things and write things and do stuff. So right. anyway, my two cents. Don't listen no. to me, though. This is Amber's <laughs> podcast. So listen to her. <laughs> no, but I kind of agree with that, too, because I didn't take that into account because I do have some friends that are very artistically inclined and they do personalize their Bibles and it looks very good. But then I know like 13 year olds who like to just doodle in their Bibles to make it aesthetically pleasing, but it's actually like really, really bad. Um, and so, yeah, if you're an actual artist and you can actually make good art and you want to personalize your Bible, I think that's different than just doing random doodly flowers all over the place. So I totally agree with that. And if you do feel wrong, so for per se for writing in your Bible, I do use the sticky notes. I really, really do because Bibles for me are expensive and I like quality Bibles. And so when I get a Dewey Reams Bible, when I save up enough, um, I'm not putting any type of writing in it at all. Instead, yeah. I'm going to use my sticky notes. So I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, there's a million different kinds of Bibles out there people get. Mm -hmm. King James Version, New King James Version. There's like a bajillion types of Bibles 
that people can purchase. But the only uh, Bibles that you can get that really have kind of ornamental pages or any kind of pictures are like the Living World Bibles, yeah, which is completely, I won't say a completely different take on the Bible, but you know, when we discuss the Bible, we're particularly talking about the Catholic edition of the Bible. Yes. A lot of people in the world are just on a regular Old Testament and New Testament, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of different types of Bibles out there. It's just hard to find any that might really meet your, uh, the image of what you want from your book. Exactly. Even the cover. I like to have like nice leather bound stuff too. So I have like a lot of really nice, like leather bound Bibles and stuff like that, that I I, uh, I really treasure, but yeah. So as long as you're not, I think as long as your mind's not wandering and you're doodling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Playing tic-tac-toe in the Bible is probably not a good thing. No. <laughs> I wonder if that's ever come through confession before. Like, like to confess, I played tic-tac-toe and... with my brother on our Bible while we were supposed to be listening. Oh, that would be weird. That would be, that's something like a five-year-old would confess or something, you know, like, yeah. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. I played tic-tac-toe. On the Bible. Too cute. (laughs) So Jessica Bree asks, how can I talk to my parents about converting? I'm nervous as I've been Protestant my entire life. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I think the first step is really understanding that, um, you know, you need to know your who, what's, where's, and why's technically your parents are going to want to know why you're going to want to convert. So because parents, you know, they want what's best for us spiritually. And so if your parents are strong Protestants, um, and they've remained that way for many, many years, they're going to think that you're out of your mind probably. Um, but at the same time, they're going to want to know why, you know, if, if they're parents who really care about you spiritually and things like that, they're going to want to know your reasons why. And so it's really important to know the whys of why you want to convert. Um, and, and, and the whole why of like, you actually need to have, um, I don't want to say evidence, but, but, don't just say like, oh, because it's God's church, like they're not, they're not going to really take that. They're going to be like, well, how do you know kind of thing? So make sure you're just prepared for those questions. Um, the second thing is that you would have to go through RCIA in order to convert into Catholicism. Um, and depending on how old you are, I do believe parents have to have some kind of waiver or something. They have to sign something. Um, so that could be something that you talk to them about. I made a whole video about converting in, um, on my YouTube channel. So definitely go over there and check that out. Um, but I would say be open with them, really, truly be open and honest with them. And the worst thing they can say is no. But then when you become older, you can call the shots for yourself and then you can go through RCIA. But really being open with them and discussing why you want to be Catholic and and um, how you're going to do it, set up a plan, you know, and again, my YouTube video kind of goes in depth on how to do that. Um, and you would basically just call your local parish and ask them about their RCIA program, Catholic parish. Um, but that, that would be my best thing is just be prepared for those questions because they're going to, I guess in a, in a sense, not be worried, but they're going to be concerned as to why, like what brought you to this and, um, why you want to be Catholic. Yeah. Best of luck with that. Yeah, absolutely. This next question is, 
favorite Marian consecration? Um, consecration? Um, I've only done one, and that was the St. Louis de Montfort um, one, the 33 days to morning glory. Uh, I didn't know there were really any others out there. Um, but that's mine. <laughs> Annika Drexler asks, favorite saint? Oh, oh man, I gotta pick one. Can I pick, can I pick three? Can I do three? Pick your top three. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. St. Francis, <laughs> um, St. Joseph, and St. Ambrose. Our Lady, I think, is just like a, 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 everyone knows that. So I just hope everyone knows that Our Lady's like top, but those are my top three. Very good. It's like we're picking a fantasy football team here. I know. It's just like it's our fantasy <laughs> saint team. We're going to make a game out of this, right? It's going to be Honestly, a great way for people to learn the saints, is what we're going to turn it into a game and everyone will be able to learn it really easy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so funny, though, if they actually did that. That would be so cool. We could make a, christian uh catholic uh, we can make a catholic card game out of it right <laughs> oh my gosh that would be the best like what saint did this <laughs> let's see so d peters 2012 asks how do you talk with an atheist uh honestly i'm the best discussions i've had with an atheist are when i let them talk I know that sounds crazy. All right, let me explain. So when the more they talk, the more I understand where they're coming from. The more I understand where they're coming from, the more that I can kind of fight back on their stances. And the best way to do that is using questions. So people, they will be like, uh, atheist will ask like, well, you know, God doesn't exist. And I'll be like, well, why do you think that? And then they'll probably go into this whole thing because like, you know, I, I don't know, bad things happen. All right. Some people will say that. And, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, God allowed his son to be crucified for the greater good, you know, and then they'll try to go into this whole thing about how Jesus Christ wasn't a real man. And I'm like, well, did you see that there's actual historical evidence that proved Jesus Christ was a real man anyway? And so it can be very difficult to have conversations with not just atheists, but non non Catholics, non Christians in general. Um, and the best way to combat that is to understand where they're coming from by asking questions. So instead of just spitting out facts and going into a debate, actually ask them and listen to their side of the argument and see what their stance is. Because sometimes their stance is easier to refute than just us spitting facts at them because they don't think those are facts, you know? And so making them think about where their information came from can actually help plant that seed. What do you think, Todd? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hostile topic for me. I can't get into this one because I would spend an hour really harping on this because in my, what I do in my world, I use science to to, you know, back up spirituality, essentially. So I come at people like this with a lot of hard facts and most atheists aren't prepared for that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, is it's like, they don't understand that actually science really can't exist without religion. You know, the Catholics put a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort into science and art and all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of our astronomy is a courtesy of the Catholic church. So let's remember that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> 
including the Bible. (laughs) It's really odd because, you know, you get atheists in different degrees, you know, they're kind of almost polar opposites in a certain regard. You get people that are uneducated about religion, that never grew up with it, that are atheists or agnostics that, you know, come at you with, you know, the approach of you believe in Mickey Mouse, essentially, you know, (laughs) like, how can you believe in this character of fiction? Right. So they come at you with no knowledge. And then there's the scientific part, which we were talking a little bit before we started recording the podcast about, about these Mm -hmm. just really far theories, you know, and you get into quantum physics and kind of the quantum wave, or you get into atomics and you get into these things. And then the science pushes very far away from God when you get into these extreme theoretical debates with people. So there can be very intelligent people that are atheists and there can be very dumb people that are atheists. And it's it's different different conversations with both people. But what you have to do is come armed with knowledge. And you know what? In the least, you know, when you're at death's door, <laughs> where I think a lot of atheists find God at the last minute. Yeah. It, there's no harm that is going to come from believing in a power of God or trying to believe in spirituality, but there could be a harm in not believing in it. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to play the odds, if you're a betting man, you might want to point the needle a little bit more toward religion. So, but anyways, I could uh, visit my (laughs) quest podcast to hear me be more inflammatory about that. (laughs) Yeah. He goes in depth, which is really awesome. And yeah, honestly, it's, it's like, well, it's the gamble. It's just like, you're gambling your eternal life it's Mm -hmm. yeah why would you take the gamble that could end you You up in hell you'd better be really sure about your decision right yeah Yeah. so this this next set of questions uh comes from Jaden filippi um other businesses like starbucks that faithful catholics shouldn't support so are you going to actually blackball some businesses from your podcast (laughs) i don't know should i (laughs) <laughs> i mean the thing is is that all main corporation i know i i dip on starbucks all the time because <laughs> i go to starbucks also, all the time so here we are <laughs> <laughs> oh no um it's it's here's the thing with corporations is that there's some that are going to be worse than other but most corporations just match the the charity like what is it they match like if you donate money, they'll match that money from their employees and send it to whatever organization their employees want. So if that employee chooses that organization that their charity goes to is Planned Parenthood, then they match that. And a lot of organizations actually do that. Um, Places in general that I stay away from just due to sweatshops and things like that would be like Nike, big corporations like Walmart, Target. Do I completely boycott these areas? Um, Nike, yes, because there's other shoes and I'm a Skechers person. (laughs) Um, But also with their whole demon shoe thing, even though they, they, you know, they sued little Nass, I still, mm, they still make their shoes in sweatshops. No, thanks. But um, even though I can't completely limit myself from what I buy from those stores um, or completely cut it out, I do make sure that I don't go overboard. Like I don't, that's not the place where I get all my clothes. Most of my clothes are thrifted and I usually get my groceries from local grocery stores. And so with things like that, you really just have to understand that most places aren't going to have our Catholic fundamentals at heart. And so we just have to limit 
how much power we give them and how much money we give them, but they're still going to be there. So I don't know. As uh, we're recording this podcast, I'm uh, watching Amber in the Zoom monitor. I see that she has loomed all her own clothing. She has a straw hat she's wearing. Um, she's fashioned sandals from leather <clears throat> from and an animal Jesus that sandals. was killed on its own natural causes. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in my defense, this wasn't the best color scheme. <laughs> Orange no. and teal. No. Oof. <laughs> no, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually jump in on this one a little bit. So okay, go I ahead. have a couple of things to say. With. So, you know, I actually kind of admire businesses. I'm going to take a different approach with this, but I kind of admire businesses that put their Christianity up front. And you see that with like the Hobby Lobbies and Chick-fil-A's and companies like this. Sometimes disappointing. I can't shop there on a Sunday. <laughs> you know? but, it sucks, I know. but I do kind of admire that. And I'll tell you what I like about businesses like this is that the, the top level of leadership, you may not necessarily be running your business to, you know, to be a company that's passing out a flyer to everyone that comes in the door saying, join the Christian church. They're not doing that, but there's a way of thinking that a religious person has. And I believe they become, you have better leadership qualities by having some spirituality in your life. And if you're, doesn't matter whether you're running a small plumbing company or you're running an enormous multinational company, the leader, the person that created this concept of this company, that's the important factor of this in that they created this concept with these good and decent tendencies of being a religious person uh, in their heart. And, they, and they, they lead companies that way. For me, it's not so much about what they're donating to or what's going on behind the curtain or where they're sourcing their products from, because I could make myself go mad researching that every day. Sure. You know, I mean, I don't, Yeah, you hear them say, you know, Nike has sweatshops all around the world. I couldn't name where one is, or if this is even true, or were the sources that cited this, or even if this is a story that's old from 20 years ago, and they don't do this anymore. Hmm. Yeah, you have to remember that so many of these old companies, Adidas or Nike or Converse or whoever it is, most of these companies aren't the companies that they were when they were first founded. And now most of these companies are part of other bigger companies that are always going to try and get the bottom line down. And so some other company has now taken this on and they are sourcing Vietnamese labor to make things cheaper. Some of these countries, we, we discuss child labor as a terrible thing in this country, but in some countries you're allowed to work at 16. So is it, is it really wrong because their country's governance decides that you're an adult at 16 and you're free to go work? Or is it the wages that are the big deal? If you made a quarter an hour here, you'd never survive. You'll be on the street living homeless. But in another country, a quarter an hour could be an enormous amount of money. So yeah. it's just really hard to say when you start to look at all of these, there's so many layers, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think the difference I, is like child labor. I can't labor. police all this, you know? Right, right. No, yeah, for sure. I think the difference is like child labor versus forced labor kind of thing. Um forced labor obviously like there's been a lot of stuff like that in you know china and things but i i mean i i agree i agree and i used to work at chick-fil-a today's modern today's modern sweatshop is amazon and anyone who can't see that is an idiot because you know they tried to unionize in what alabama or something mississippi a week ago and it failed but these workers are put under very long hours and sometimes dangerous work with minimal break time. And, uh, and you're seeing the modern swept shop happening again in our lifetime. And, but the thing is, is it's different now because Amazon, people are so reliant on Amazon to get their stuff. Mm. 
Yeah. This, these sweatshops are being allowed and workers are, are allowed to be treated poorly. And, and it's just because this is such an enormous need. Amazon has, has become a, an enormous beast that's put so many people out of work, put so many stores out of business and become something that everyone's reliant on. And it's one source mm-hmm. that you can get everything from. So I kind of look at companies like that. Like if I want to get a good cup of coffee, I like Starbucks coffee. I go there and get a cup of coffee. I don't know where the beans came from or who picked the beans or where they, how they were transported or what went on, you know, mm-hmm. I just want a good cup of coffee. It's all I want to get. It's a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know? And yeah. That's my thing on it. So I just, I don't know, you know, because I know that there's something I'm probably doing in my life, eating somewhere, buying a service from someone and that company is doing something wrong. I just, I don't know if I have it in me to police all of these places that I buy from to figure out what I want to personally boycott. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jaden also asks, if you could choose, what would your patronage be if you became a canonized Coffee. saint? Huh? Coffee. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even let you finish. I already knew what she was going to say. Coffee. Oh man. Too funny. And ugly people. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's what, that's what my name, you know, like there's those filters on Instagram that tells you what you're saying, like what saint you would be. Well, my filter said I would be Saint Drago, who is the patron saint of coffee and ugly people. And I was just like, thanks. That is terrible. <laughs> I know. Ban or no wait, boycott, boycott Instagram filters. Is there a patron saint of uh, pretty people in bourbon? <laughs> St. <Saint> Augustine. <laughs> oh, St. Augustine would probably be that person. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's see. So we're down to the last few questions here. Okay. Look through these real quick. So uh, one came in here. I'm just going to kind of forward them something else. What's your opinion on Disney movies? Well, we did a podcast on christian versus secular entertainment and we did touch on disney movies a bit so go back to episode two or three when it was one of those early ones and see about that there were also some questions in here about music um we have another podcast we're doing together uh and coming up in a couple weeks that is uh christian versus secular entertainment part two where we're getting into books and video games and it makes sense that maybe part three will be about music yeah and so, um, for the that episode, it's episode six. Is it episode six? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so keep listening, and we will eventually get to your questions about music and some of the things that we haven't touched on because we do whole episodes devoted to this kind of thing. It's so really good. Again. Um. So let's see. What do we have here? Um. Maggie Quigley two says, "Why do people justify police violence if we all have the right to life?" First of all, I love that Quigley. Like that is just such a cute word, Quigley. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, here's the thing. Some people who like, yes, we all have the right to life and absolutely some accidents do happen and some things are very tragic. And I'm assuming you're talking probably about the most recent um, shooting of Don- Dante or that guy. Um I mean, it could just be a bunch of different things, but I do believe the media likes to blow it out of proportion a little bit. It's really important that you get the facts and that they're not from the media who tries to exploit the police officers. 
Um, when it came to Dante's shooting in general, I think it was absolutely tragic, but there were warrants out for his arrest. He was actually pulled over because a license plate was expired and he wasn't pulled over because of air freshener. And when he started struggling and stuff like that, he tried to escape in his car. The woman, the, the woman police officer thought she drew her taser. You can hear her say in the video, taser, taser, taser. And then she realized that she shot him and she said, oh, expletive, I just shot him. And so should she have made that mistake? No, but mistakes do happen and sometimes they are fatal. Um, but the thing is, is that there were warrants out for his arrest and things for multiple different reasons because he strangled a woman and think, uh, don't go do your own research. The point is, is that there are some situations where police violence absolutely is true and awful. And sometimes they are abusive people because guess what? They're human. And it's interesting to me how people will point fingers at an abuser, but then you slap them into a vest and all of a sudden it's even worse, you know, like, oh, an abuser. Oh, he's just a guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you put him in a vest and all of a sudden he's literally seeing himself. So I think it's really important that Yes, we all do have the right to life, but we also have to understand that the stories that we see about the, the, our um, police officers and stuff aren't always accurately portrayed. Right, right. The next question is from Hibiscus Garlands. Can non-canon Christians, can non-Christians okay. participate in devotion to Mary and Jesus or should they leave it alone? Um here's the thing, like, why? Like, why do you want to have a devotion to Our Lady? You know, why not just become Catholic? I know becoming Catholic in itself is kind of like a thing, but you can absolutely pray the rosary and have a devotion to Our Lady. But if you're going to do that, then why not just become Catholic and complete it? You know, um, I don't, there's nothing wrong with having a devotion. Obviously, you cannot receive Catholic communion until you go through RCIA and receive, you know, your first confession, baptism, etc. Um, but unless you're already baptized, but I want, I would prefer for them to ask themselves why, you know, if, if they want to show our lady reverence and things like that, and they want to have a devotion, you know, like treat Jesus, you know, worship Jesus, then why not just become Catholic? Because the best way that you can worship Jesus is by participating in the mass and receiving him in the Eucharist. Right. Right. And the last question It's from Chad Monarch version two. (laughs) Are you open to a vocation in the consecrated life or have you already discerned? I've thought about it. I really have. And it fascinates me what sisters and nuns do. And I used to work with them when I was a kid, but I'm definitely um, married life is definitely my vocation. 100%. I've discerned that already. And I actually made a video about discernments on my YouTube channel. So if you guys are struggling to find your vocation, go check out that video. Um, But yeah, I basically set in stone. I know that I am meant to be married. So yeah. All right. Well, good deal. Well, that wraps up our Q and A's for today. That was fun. Those are some good ones, y'all. Yeah. Nice. You had us thinking on some of those. <laughs> I know, me too. Some of them, like, I just, oh, I see what you mean. I thought, I thought a lot. My brain, the wheels in my brain were turning. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone keep the questions coming because yes. we do these periodically. We like to save up the questions and uh, and answer them so in a couple months we'll be doing it again so always you know send an email to the religious hippie at gmail.com you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm 
uh, forward slash the religious hippie. There's a million ways that you can reach Amber out there on the interwebs. So send questions, label them that you want them on the podcast. Yes. And we'd love to love to hear from you what you have. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for being here and answering these questions with me. Thank this you. was fun. And yeah, I will talk to you guys in the next podcast. Thank you so much for all of your questions. And well, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Do you have questions or comments about today's episode? Email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with Amber Rose, The Religious Hippie. Please be sure and rate and review this podcast. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to like and follow The Religious Hippie on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, or visit her official website at thereligioushippie.com. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. And be sure to visit metatomics.org to see our listings of other unique podcasts.